Father, in these next few minutes, would You, by Your Spirit, grant power to the preaching of Your Word? Would You grant us by Your Spirit all we need to appraise and apprehend the truth regarding Christ and His resurrection? In these moments, would You refresh us and encourage us and comfort us? As always, I am weak and I am needy. Uh, So I ask that You would attend to me that I might do the work to which You've called me. Would You grant me grace and fill me with Your Spirit that I might do something good for You this morning. It's for this in the name of and for the sake of Christ, I ask these things. Amen. Well, people all over the world today are, uh, have arrived already, uh, are arriving, or will arrive in churches with a, a wide variety of thoughts on their minds, uh, a wide variety of feelings that they're experiencing and in, a midst, in the midst of a, a wide variety of circumstances. Some are physically tired, emotional weary, emo- emotionally weary, sad, grieving, anxious, depressed, lonely, frustrated, angry, maybe even a little resentful and bitter. Some are defeated, and are feeling even a little hopeless. And those wide variety of thoughts and feelings are a result of a wide variety of problems. They may be experiencing relational, financial, or employment problems. They may be feeling or experiencing physical and mental health problems. They may be in the midst of some type of social problem, maybe political problems, problems within marriages, interrelational problems, problems with marriages, problems with children, problems with extended family, problems with neighbors, problems with employers and coworkers, problems with individuals, institutions, and even governments. And unfortunately, in in many of the churches in which they arrive, they're going to hear that if they'll just do a better job at being a Christian, all their problems will diminish. They're going to hear that if they, ju- if they would just do a better job, they, things that the difficult things that they're in the middle of will, will get easier. If they would just do a better job, then they will, they will get and earn and merit all that they are lacking. And in the end, unfortunately, all that's going to do is perpetuate the problem. Because what that does in the long run is, is simply tell people that their hope is within themselves. Or that their hope is in their circumstances getting better. Or their hope is in those problems becoming less difficult. 
or that the problems are going to be dealt with and their hope is their hope is in maybe their own power, their own prestige, their own position. Unfortunately, what that is, that, that's simply a dead faith. And what people need this morning, not just this morning, but every morning, they don't need a dead faith, they need a living faith. They need a living faith, to paraphrase John Piper, that they need a living faith that doesn't turn our life into a string of successes, but rather keeps us from collapsing under a string of difficulties, disappointments, and failures. And that hope only comes from one place. That living hope only comes from the resurrection of Christ. Listen again to the passage that John just read. Words of Peter. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter wrote these words to Christians who were scattered among five, um, primarily five provinces in an area that we now know as modern day Turkey. And within these provinces, they were experiencing uh, discrimination and outbreaks of violence and, and persecution, and that the, all of those things were, um, were growing daily. Some were suffering due to their godly lifestyles that were different from those who were persecuting them. Some were um, suffering those things based upon reproach uh, for carrying the name of Christ. In other words, they were, they were being persecuted simply because they were followers of His. But regardless of, of the reasons, Peter was writing to all of them and writing all to all of them in order to encourage them in the midst of whatever it is that they were dealing with. Writing to encourage them in the midst of the difficulties and the trials, whatever they were experiencing, trials that he himself could have even been experiencing, and we gather that based upon the fact that he himself would be martyred by Nero in less than two years after he wrote the letter. And he begins, interestingly enough, with a doxology. The very first line, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wasted absolutely no time lifting, lifting the eyes of those who were struggling off their circumstances that they might look up and gaze at their Creator and Sustainer. Lifting their eyes off of their circumstances that they might gaze at the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Calvin wrote this. He said, He highly extols the wonderful grace of God in Christ that we may not be broken down by present troubles, but patiently endure them. And He invites the faithful to spiritual joy which can swallow up the op uh, all of the opposite feelings of the flesh. See, because Peter, Peter knew firsthand what it was like to break down under trouble, trial, and tribulation. 
But he also knew how important it was to refocus and to gain a proper perspective, not only on his circumstances, but on who he was in the Lord Jesus. But in the words of David Strain, while Peter is about to unpack why the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead matters so much, he doesn't start with a series of propositions or carefully nuanced affirmations and denials, making fine theological distinctions. No, he starts with praise. And brothers and sisters, we could spend our time, I could spend our time this morning describing the resurrection to you, and that would be perfectly appropriate. I could spend our time this morning defending the resurrection, and that too would be perfectly appropriate. But I want to spend our time this morning talking about why the resurrection matters, and that's also appropriate. But again, to quote Dr. Strain, if our minds have been enlightened and our convictions sharpened and our understanding deepened, but we do not rise with Peter to bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, then we will not have begun to penetrate into the wonder of the mystery that Jesus lives. So it's my desire that what follows, what It's my desire that what follows leads to our adoration and worship and praise of Almighty God. When I'm done, I want us to be able to say as well, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And give Him the praise that He deserves. So we're going to look at two things this morning. You'll find this in the normal spot in your bulletin. You're probably not going to take notes in your lap, but you have it there anyway. We're going to look at our our new life and our living hope through the resurrection. And we're going to look at our divine protection through faith. So let's look at the first, our new and living hope through the resurrection. Look again in verse 3. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. So not only does Peter immediately lift the gaze of of his listeners off their circumstances and on to God, he also immediately raises their eyes off of themselves, particularly particularly in regard to their salvation. As I've mentioned the past couple weeks in our study of Genesis, God is a God of gratuitous mercy. And Peter says one of the outcomes or results of the greatness of his gratuitous mercy is our salvation. And not simply that we've been saved, but that he has caused us to be born again. Out of the great and gratuitous mercy of his, and based solely on the kind intention of his will, he not only chose to save us, but he was the only active participant in our salvation. We were helpless, we were hopeless, we did not merit our salvation, we did not work for our salvation because we can't earn enough merit and we can't work hard enough to gain what it is that He's given to us. We cannot do enough to bring about the change that's necessary within us. The only thing we contributed to our salvation was our sin and our misery. In Paul's words, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That means there was not a trace of spiritual life within us. 
And he goes on to say, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we've been saved. And that language of being born again and God being the sole agent in that work is not something Peter made up on his own. Listen to Jesus' own words in John chapter 3 when he was talking to Nicodemus. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and, he, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Right? We were helpless, we were hopeless, we were spiritually lifeless, dead in our trespasses, but God has brought us to life by His Spirit. The same Spirit that was present in creation, the same Spirit brought about our recreation. Boys and girls, listen, we were all Passive at our physical birth. Right? And we were all just as passive in our spiritual birth. No one here chose to be born physically. None of us have chosen to be reborn spiritually either. Again, the same Spirit, the work of the Spirit who was at work at creation is in, is, was at work in our recreation. Just as God breathed life into Adam, we, God has breathed spiritual life into us. We were living in darkness. Now we're living in light. Due to our sin, our lives were chaos. And He brought order out of that chaos by salvaging us and setting us free. Our lives were empty and void. But our lives are now purposeful. We're in the process of being sanctified. We're in the process of being filled to the full with the fullness of Christ. God is both our Creator and Redeemer. He is our Lord and He is our Savior. And Peter doesn't stop there. He says that we've been born again. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope. This is a hope that is much more than the hope of the world. A hope that's nothing more than wishful thinking. A hope that's temporary and uncertain and undependable and inconsistent. It's a dead hope. But the hope which Peter speaks of is a living hope. It's, a, it's active. He's talking about our hope of salvation. Our hope of everlasting life. It's a hope that endures because it's a hope that's eternal and will never end. Because it's hope in a life that will endure. Because it's a life that is eternal and will never end. In verse 4, he puts it this way. He says it's a living hope of salvation that includes an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Our hope 
and the inheritance of eternal life in which we hope is certain. Right? That which is imperishable will never, never spoil. It won't rot. It won't deteriorate. It won't be or can't be destroyed. What is undefiled cannot be polluted. It cannot be contaminated. And what is unfading will never disappear or vanish. In other words, our salvation is absolutely sure. In the words of my friend Chris Miller, he said, Just as His mercies are new every morning in this life, His glory will be new every morning in the next. It will never grow old. And what is the basis of that salvation? What is the source of our spiritual life? What ensures our living hope? Look at the end of verse 3. Peter answers, it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, the cross may get a lot of attention and should get a lot of the attention. It actually gets most of the attention, but it's the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that proves that He is who He said He was and that He succeeded in doing what He said He would do. For example, the resurrection proves that Jesus is the Messiah. He said He was the long-awaited, much-anticipated King that the prophets had spoken about and that He would usher in the kingdom in the last days. But as you can remember from our study of Luke... He didn't exactly fulfill everybody's expectations on what that was going to look like. They were expecting Him to defeat all of their enemies and, and to usher in this kingdom characterized by worldwide peace and, and righteousness. So when He suffered and died, doubt understandably took over. It makes sense. But His resurrection put all of those doubts to rest. Isaiah 52 and 53 tell us that it was the Father's will to crush the Lord Jesus. It was His will for the Christ, the Messiah, to suffer and die to atone for sin. But it was also the Father's will to raise Him up again in order to conquer the most significant enemies God's people would ever face, that being sin and death. Death was not the final word or the final outcome. The grave, the song goes, the grave could not hold the key. This is why Peter said what he did in his sermon at Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, toward the end, he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. But the resurrection not only proves that He was the Messiah, the resurrection proves that He was righteous. Paul tells us that, that the wages of sin is death. But Jesus was sinless, therefore He had no debt to pay for Himself. So He suffered and died unjustly. But He underwent that unjust suffering and death for us, in order to pay for our sin, for our debt. He wasn't saved from an unjust death. He had to undergo that death. But he was raised back to life in order to prove that he was an innocent man who had died unjustly. 
His resurrection was a declaration of His righteousness. We just sang it a moment ago. In the words of author Jeff Bannon, on account of His righteous life, the perfect sacrifice and perfect sacrifice, God vindicated Jesus through His resurrection and Jesus therefore conquered death. The resurrection of Jesus serves as a vindication of His sinlessness, perfect righteousness, and undeserving death. But the resurrection not only proves that Jesus is who He said He was and that He succeeded in doing what He said He would do, the resurrection also proves that those who are in Christ are justified. Listen to Paul's words from Romans 4, verse 21. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And you'll remember from Easter last year, our text in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul wrote, if Christ has not been raised, you and I, you and me, are still, no, I, you and I are still in our sins. His point is, death is a result of sin. So if Christ defeated death, Through His resurrection, He also defeated sin. And if He defeated sin, you and I have been justified. Having been united to Him, by faith, we are saved. We are declared not guilty and we are right in His sight. If He wasn't resurrected, He didn't defeat death. And if He didn't defeat death, He didn't defeat sin. And if He didn't defeat sin, you and I are still in our sin. Again, the words of Jeff Brannon. Because Jesus was vindicated and declared righteous in His resurrection, those who are united to Christ by faith are also vindicated, justified, and declared righteous. For believers to be united to the risen and vindicated Christ is to have Him as their representative. In His resurrection, Jesus becomes the basis on which those who are united to Christ can also be vindicated. Brothers and sisters, we have a living hope of a salvation that was secured for us by a resurrected Lord, a resurrected Christ who ascended and is at the right hand of God the Father Almighty where He now rules and reigns now and forevermore. He reigns in power and in glory. We have a living hope because we've been united to Him by faith. And because we've been united to Him by faith, we have already been resurrected, spiritually speaking. We have been raised from spiritual death to life. And in Paul's words, we've been raised up with Him and have been seated with Him in heavenly places. But there's more than that. We're also anticipating... Our living hope is focused on a future physical resurrection. A future resurrection that will take place when He returns to come and judge both the living and the dead. And we will not be disappointed. And I say that with confidence because the inheritance is ours. We didn't earn that inheritance, so we can't lose that inheritance. That inheritance has been given to us and that inheritance is being kept for us. Peter says God is keeping it in heaven for you and for me. 
Our inheritance of spiritual and physical resurrection and eternal life is certain because God is preserving it. He is keeping it from perishing. He is keeping it from being defiled. He is, he is keeping it from fading. In other words, the good work that He has begun, He will surely bring to completion. But the good news doesn't stop there. Not only is our inheritance being preserved, we ourselves are being preserved. Look at verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter says God's not only keeping and preserving our inheritance, but He is guarding us as well. Those who are His, those who have turned to the Lord Jesus in faith, He is guarding them. He's keeping them secure. He's protecting them not only from Satan, who John calls the accuser of the brethren, not only from our flesh, but also from the world. And He's holding us and He's keeping us tight. He's keeping us from giving in. He's keeping us from renouncing our faith. And of course, what came to to my mind immediately this week were Paul's words in Romans 8 as well as Jesus' words in John 6. Listen, Listen to Paul. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not with Him graciously give, him all, give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation? Distress? Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Danger? or Sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Jesus Himself said, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I've come down for heaven, not to do my will, my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raised it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Thanks be to God. Peter's reminding his original audience, he's reminding us that God not only initiates a relationship with us and regenerates us and creates faith within us through the ministry of Word and Spirit, He also strengthens and sustains that same faith. And it's through our faith that He guards us and keeps us close. 
He preserves us. And through His preserving, we persevere. And through our perseverance, He preserves us. Again, in the words of my, my brother, Pastor Miller, God rejoices over us for something He does for us from beginning to end. Gratuitous mercy. If you have your Bibles open, would you turn to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 and 20? I think that may have been the first time I've said that in five years. Hebrews 6. The first time I've said that because you guys, I I can usually tell you, you all have your Bibles open. And since we're outside. Verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a great high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The writer of Hebrews uses that word forerunner. He says Jesus is our forerunner. And it was a term used in Paul's time to describe a small boat that would be sent out from a ship. When the tide was low or when there was a storm and the ship couldn't get into port, the anchor would be placed on that little boat and that forerunner would go into port and it would put that anchor down. And by doing so, it was as if that ship was considered home already, but not yet. And that anchor being there, the ship was not going to drift. It wasn't going to be blown away. Okay, That's the picture. Brothers and sisters, Christ has taken our hope. And the writer says, that the writer here says is an anchor. He's taken our hope and he hasn't dropped it in the depths of the sea. But he's taken that hope to the heights of heaven and he's planted it behind the veil within the holy of holies that's not made with hands. He's gone behind that veil and entered into the presence of of the Father on our behalf, and has planted our hope. And the other end of that rope that's tied to that anchor is wrapped around you. Therefore, we can confidently say that we are already home. Not fully, but completely. It's sure. So when the winds come and the storms blow, we can with confidence say, we shall not be moved. Not because we've decided to be a better Christian. Not because at some point, maybe our problems will diminish. Not because life is going to get easier. Listen, life will not get easier. 
We have a hope because of what Christ has done for us. The anchor of our hope has been firmly established in the presence of the Father because Christ has risen and has ascended into heaven and is at the right hand of the Father and we are united to Him. We've been justified because He is risen from the grave. Our salvation is being kept for us by God. We are being guarded and preserved by Him. So may I say this morning, brothers and sisters, do not fear your troubles. Do not fear your trials. Do not fear your tribulations. Do not shrink back from them. Do not grow weary in the midst, uh, do not grow weary in doing good in the midst of them. Look to Jesus. Yes, rest in His life and death. But rest in His resurrection. Rest in His resurrection. And be confident in the Father's protection of you. And may we continue to encourage one another with these words. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to him now. Gracious Father, by your spirit and grace, would you enable us to receive the word with faith and love, lay it up in our hearts, and practice it in our lives. Bless those who have heard your word preached and may the seed sown in weakness be raised in power and show forth fruit of righteousness. And it's in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen.